So Len, how's Ruby Motion? Ruby Motion is great. Wait, is the Android thing out? The Android thing is not out yet. There's oh, like well, a. Well. <laughs> there was a minor update yesterday. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really look at it. Supposedly some performance improvements. Yeah, but I think Pam the the Android thing's in beta. Just not everyone has access to it. Mm. Yeah, you can also use Ruby Motion to create uh, OS X apps. But I've had more trouble trying to submit my app to the App Store than I did writing it in Ruby Motion. I do not understand the dance of like different certificates you need to get to sign other certificates in order to uh, upload your app to the App Store. So it's, my apps are ready to go. I just need to get over this one last hurdle. You just need to learn to love certificates. Yeah. So is this just certificates that you download or that you have to sign yourself? And- I really do not understand it. It's such a complicated process. And I think it's a little more complicated because I'm not using Xcode. But yeah, I just I just need to like start over, I think. Do you run into any troubles using Remotion that you think you wouldn't have gotten into if you used Xcode, besides the certificate stuff? There's the occasional nonsensical stack trace, but I usually taking such small steps that I can make sense of it. Yeah. In the demo they did of Remotion 3, they showed live code reloading, which I think will definitely streamline the process. Because right now, if I make a change and I want to see something that is like three screens into my app. I need to, you know, restart the simulator, click those three screens. But Ruby Motion Three will have like a auto code reloading, so your app will update immediately. Cool. Well, Are you, you working on? Uh, I was going to put it to you. What have you have you built anything lately? Just a bunch of toy stuff. I actually was playing with Ruby Motion, just trying to build. I'm trying to build just a, I guess, article app. My friend has a website that's fairly popular, and he wants. Uh, to replace his current iOS app. So I'm playing with Remotion to kind of get the hang of it and then trying to build that. So I started that last night because I feel like I have a good grasp of how things should be structured now. And then I started building a closure kind of API using Ring and Composure. That's been fun. Um, But yeah, that's what I've been working on. How about you, Pam? I mean... For better or for worse, my status is generally book stuff. So I'm, and I'm also trying to, to actually take a break from some things for a bit. So I've got my, what will be so personally declared, my last conference speaking thing of the year uh, in a few weeks. What are you speaking at? Powered by JavaScript. It's a pre-conf before Strange Loop. Oh, nice. So it's a Manning conference, and I'm going to give a version of my prototyping and UX talk. So are both you guys going to be at, at Strange Loop? Yeah. yeah. Nice. I mean, you could come to St. Louis, Len, <laughs> and then we could do a little Turing and Complete uh, recording or live show. We could do a live show. I think we should do a live show eventually. I, I don't know. So there was, this, there was this podcast festival a few weeks ago, and I only found out about it a few weeks beforehand because I wasn't on top of it. But they do they do live podcast shows and it'd be kind of I don't know if people would like to see us in person, but we could go. We could bring snacks and stickers. Yeah, and stickers. <laughs> so, what's your writing process like? Actually, I'm not sure if this is updated on on Safari and O'Reilly yet, but I am kind of excited to. So, I I I think I've told you all informally, but I've been working with. We've actually brought on three additional uh, authors slash contributors. So I think it actually makes the book way better because we have an individual expert who worked on the backbone 
Ember and Angular chapter. Yeah, do you want to remind people what your book is? Yeah, it's a choosing a JavaScript framework. So instead of merely me and my opinions, uh, we actually brought individual experts on as co-authors so that they could, because these these JavaScript frameworks really are, they do each have their own individual community and it is, you know, they change so fast. And so I was really happy to to bring them on. And so I'm excited that their their names are actually getting on the cover soon. So that's awesome. We, I, I haven't really announced it publicly until until we got that listed so that it wouldn't be confusing. So really excited about that. And so actually, a lot of the work was just a, a good amount of, of cat herding in a way. Uh, so working with different contributors on one book, and making sure that we have a similar style, working on the sample code. I actually did a little bit of design work, which was crazy, to make the sample app not hideous. So that happened. Can you talk about who they are? or It's just still a secret. Oh, it's not a secret. I mean, I the interesting thing is I don't know if we'll ever meet in person because two of them are British and one of them lives in Portland. So I don't know if we'll ever meet in person. But they all seem pretty cool on email. So it's, let's see, it's Jamie White, Christopher Hiller, and Tim Ruffles. Cool. I'm not sure if that's his real last name, but it might be. <laughs> it might be his real last name. Have there been any scuffles about frameworks? In the book process? Yeah. There were scuffles over, you know, how to how to best approach the sample app and things like that. Because it's you, we want it to be something that's more useful than to do MVC. But at the same time, you're you're still attempting to get a little bit of that level of comparison. Right. So what we what we ended up going with that I'm happy with is the there's a like a base application uh, conceit. So there's the the base fake application that's made, and then theoretically each one adds some kind of feature, or in the book at least talks about one of the features of the framework that makes that framework more more special or what a particular strength of the framework so kind of like each one is a cupcake with different colored sprinkles i thought the point of the to-do app though was it was so simple that you could kind of figure out how a to-do app works so you just have to learn like what backbone is doing or what ember is doing are you guys still have that idea or is it still a part of the problem with something that's that simple though is that you know ember is probably overkill for an app like that and you might look at it and or like why do i do all this and you say yeah you would say i'd never use ember because yeah exactly so if you add some layers of complexity then it can make each framework make more sense and show you what kind of like different use cases you would use it for but then you have to get over the hurdle of understanding like this domain that you it's more complicated than a to do app, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why it was a, a difficult discussion. What kind of app did you end up picking? So we we kept my my original cupcake, which was what I had originally written in each framework, which was a a simple basically list show view. So the conceit is a a realty company. And so they have a list of their properties and then a show view of their properties. And so then I believe one of the features that was added, and I think two of them actually added this one, is the ability to favorite. So you can see what it's like to favorite a uh, an item and so kind of persisting data across. So that's interesting. Is the Backbone uh, person using Marionette? Nope. Oh, man. Vanilla Backbone. What, would you have preferred to see Marionette? Yeah, I don't think you can use Backbone for anything real without using Marionette. I thought you said only on a certain size. 
even at small scales, you still need Marionette? I do generally use it. There's a lot of things I think you'll end up building that Marionette has if you if you don't use it. And it's there when you need it. So I've run into the problem before where we just did a vanilla backbone app and it just turned into backbone spaghetti. I would use it for the event bus, if nothing else. That backbone wrecker is pretty cool. So you can say like just global event listeners. So you don't like part of the problem with developing an app is one view needs to like know about another view and those things need to communicate somehow. And it's great to be able to just, when you click on an element, to just trigger an event. And then anyone who cares can just attach and to this like global event bus and, and listen and know to change itself. I don't think that's unique to Marionette. I believe that the event bus is in Backbone. It's a it's Backbone Wrecker. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm on a project that's actually using... Like, because Backbone's open source code, we took parts of Backbone and are using parts of the Backbone structure. It's a little weird, but... Oh, so Backbone, it's of, yeah. backbone Events is a thing that can be mixed in and used. So, like, you can, yeah. you can trigger events. Yeah, that's what I'm events. thinking of is yeah. Backbone Events. So I don't know what you're talking about, Backbone Record. But yeah, Backbone Events has a, a trigger and it keeps a record of events. And so when you create an event, it does that. Yeah. So it has records. once and on and off and all that goodness. There's also an event bus one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just basically puts uh, trigger and listen to on like a global application. So instead of having to listen to an event on a view, you can listen to an event on an, on the entire application. So one view wouldn't have to know about another view or you wouldn't have to bubble that event up from controllers. Cool. So I'm looking at the popcorn list and I kind of want to pick a random thing. I added a bunch of ran- like actually random things to the popcorn discussion list, such as favorite coffee and tea, which I know that I, me and Javon can talk about. Oh, Len's favorite coffee is anything. <laughs> anything fav- made of coffee. My favorite coffee is anything with caffeine. I'm just It's just a vehicle to get caffeine in my system, basically. It's- Five cups a day. <laughs> I'm ready for favorite coffee. My favorite coffee is the Federal Donuts Blend. It makes amazing cold really? brew. Yes. You'd be, I was surprised that Feral Donuts has co- good coffee. But I would say it's the best cold brew in the city. It has taken over my favorite hubbub. How about you, Pam? I'm definitely more of a tea person. And actually, I was trying to look up. I rode past a, what looks to be a new place, Melange Tea. Have you seen that? No, where is it? Well, if I rode past it, it means that it's on Pine Street. That's that's me thinking out loud, not me saying that to you. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That's that's actually how I remember where things are. Is I'm like, well, if I rode past it, going this way, then it's on 18th Street. If I rode past it going that way, it's on 17th Street. That kind of thing. So I rode past it last night. So that puts it on Pine Street. We'd have to check. I wonder it out. if there's a word for that kind of memory. Bicycle is that what spatial memory context. Is? Spatial, like remembering things according to your context. Yeah. Yeah. There was, ah. there was an interesting study recently about uh, recall and digital books. And they oh, generally yeah. found people generally I, have the same amount of recall, except people who read the physical books know the order events happen in more. And part of the theory about that was just that you have more context about when things happen based on like how many pages you have left because you can kind of feel and have a sense of how they were, your progress in the book. I constantly look at the amount of pages I have left, so I don't have that problem. Little progress bar. Uh, in a in a digital book, you do that. Yeah, yeah, but you still don't. I mean, you have like this like tactile sense. Yeah, you're always just... holding the book. Yeah, but if you, I mean, if you actually use the Kindle app in Chrome, it has a constant progress bar at the bottom. 
And sometimes even it'll tell you how many minutes left you have to read to finish the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if I it's too much information. Awesome. I used that over the weekend. Not the just the Chrome app in my phone. I mean the uh, Kindle app on my phone and it was telling me, Oh, you have three hours left. And I was like Nice. <laughs> so I've been having I think I developed a beef with Vim last week, Len. And maybe oh, Pam, whoa. Pam, are you does still? that mean does that mean we're ready to eventually do the editors episode? No, no, I just I just wanted to vent. <laughs> to learn and maybe see if he has a solution. Yeah, I mean, you knew you knew that I'm still, I'm always trying to, to get better at Vim because it's my dream of the keyboard-only control to actually be good enough to never have to touch a mouse. Because once I can never touch a mouse, then I can do voice coding completely. Mm. So as long as I have to touch a mouse, I can't do all voice. I don't know if you could do all voice with Vim. Could... You need I mean, the, you the can. pad, right? You need the, the foot pedal, I think. Is what <laughs> no, I, I mean, you could do all voice because it's all textual commands. Anything that's command and control, you can translate to voice. So you could say control P? Well, I could map it to different words that are not necessarily easier to say, but more phonetically distinct. So, so you could say like cupcake rabbit and that would do something of him. Right. Oh man, what if I yeah, what if I mapped colon to cupcake? Cupcake's too long though. It'd have to be something something that's something <laughs> that has a lot of consonants and is one syllable. If if you do this, you need to go to a coffee shop and then just have everyone think you have Tourette's. Just like <laughs> screaming cupcake rabbit at your computer. Cupcake rabbit. <laughs> I oh, mean, man. you've seen the video of the Python coding by voice yeah. that was a couple years ago. And I so he, he does that kind of he does that kind of phonetic alphabet deal going. Yeah. But it's it's not words, it's you know, it's groups of consonants. So like blurg, splat, kark, like that when you program a speech recognition, it it's you know they're distinct enough that they don't get substituted for each other, so you don't get the autocorrect problem. I think you should hang out with Austin and check out his setup. Does he do voice coding? He does typing, and I yeah. think it might read back to him a little bit. I'm not sure really, but he uses Emacs, and he's really awesome at it. Is he opinionated at Emacs? I don't know. I just saw it in a talk, and I was like, this is cool. Yeah, I mean, just because he he could be interested in talking to us about editors if we get an oh. opinionated emacs person yeah yeah that, that is true so i don't think he said his full name but austin Serafin has a few i believe he has a few videos online of his talks mm-hmm. so and he he gives really good talks on on various things on accessibility on on i guess his does he has he talked about his tooling no he mostly talks about ruby motion ruby motion okay so i think he i think he spoke at ignite like last year two years ago right so my beef with Vim is <laughs> it's really slow for syntax checking. Um, Do you so, have some huge uh, file? No, just regular size Ruby files. Well, that's um, not right. So uh, I was also running RuboCop on it while I saved. Oh, yeah, don't use the RuboCop plugin. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, apparently <laughs> RuboCop. So the RuboCop plugin for Vim is a terrible idea? Yeah, it just blocks the editor while it's running, and, yes. and Ruby is very slow. Oh. So. Um, and apparently the reason it's so slow is because RuboCop, when you, Vim checks for the version of RuboCop every time, or Syntastic does, and apparently the version check is really slow, and that's what takes up a lot of time. Say so you have a beef with the RuboCop plugin, not Vim. Well, writing closure in Vim also locks up the editor, and I'm still trying to figure out why. So it, I'm a little mad because an editor like Sublime is do things like that but Vim can't I'm not going to switch to Sublime but uh, <laughs> you would never switch to Sublime <laughs> I just can't leave those commands 
Um, I know syntax highlighting is a problem if there's like super long lines. Like if mm-hmm. I'll paste some JSON in that's huge, then Vim kind of barfs. I have a shortcut to like shut syntax highlighting off. But if I have like two megs of JSON in my clipboard, I actually will paste it into Sublime instead of Vim. And let it yeah. show you the stuff. Yeah. If anyone has a fix for this stuff. Well, Justin doesn't have this problem, which is interesting. So maybe I should look at his dot files. Maybe I'm making things too pretty. Um it's basically just really slow now. Um, so yeah, that's my beef. I tried Emacs last week, surprisingly. And it was good. I don't know if I'm ready for that. But have any of you tried Emacs? Nope. No, I actually haven't. Is it that is it that greatly different than Vim? I think the idea behind it is different. So like, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. But like with Emacs, I think everything's based off the control key or the meta key. So like to exit, it's control X, control C, I think. And Vim is just colon Q. Um, and then like replacing a word. I guess it's the same for some aspects. Because jumping to the end of the line is just control E. In Vim, it's just dollar sign. Uh, it feels like Emacs is more keyboard binding. And Vim is more motion. Or these keys do this motion thing. I guess we should save that for the editor episode. <laughs> but... Uh, so speaking of the editor episode, so Mike Zornick, Zorn on Twitter started uh, giving us issues in GitHub for yeah, topic ideas. Yeah, that's a ideas. good thing to bring people up. Yeah. Yeah. So if you uh, have a topic suggestion, feel free to uh, ping us on Twitter at TuringCool or add an issue to our GitHub at uh, github.com slash Turingincomplete. Is it all one word or is there a dash? So there's a dash. There's a dash. Well, the topics were submitted as the editors. Uh, it's time management. Mm-hmm. And then like signing your product, right? Or like putting your name on your product. Yeah, that's, I'm, I would have to do some, some research or backstory on that. Because I, I know what that issue is talking about, about when you, I think of like Photoshop. When you open Photoshop, there's the big old about, you know, the author, author credits. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that you don't see that anymore. And that the re- and furthermore, the reason was because it made people poachable. So that if you saw someone's name, you'd say, "Oh man, that person wrote that software. Let me go hire them at my company." Is the man like keeping programmers down? Is this the thing that's happening? I've never worked for the man, so I have no idea. <laughs> Hold on, can we define? It just sounds like it just sounds like a, a case of yet another example of people saying that that the man, capital T, capital M, is preventing prevents engineers from getting due credit for their work because they're afraid they're afraid of them so we're gonna end up going into all of our future topics uh, yeah i know we have to okay so on the popcorn do we want i i really put a lot of stuff so i just put random stuff on here so we can talk about snacks we can talk about our favorite snacks uh we can talk about favorite conferences so I mean, I know the fall conference season is coming up, but it also is for for people in those working for capital T, capital M, the man. You know, it's not a bad time to go ahead and start thinking about the things you want to ask for for 2015. That's crazy, but it actually is. Especially if one of those things is JSConf, you better get that cleared before December. Let's let's go to favorite conferences. I've, I'm actually on the fence about going to CodeMash this year. Do you go every year? Yeah, well, I used to live in Michigan, remember? So I used to go every year. And I used to be a .NET developer, and that's 
Yeah, even though they they claim it's a, a mash of technologies, it does end up tending to be .NET heavy. Like I, part of the reason I haven't gone lately is most of the talks are like deep .NET discussions, and then like introduction to Ruby. <laughs> Ruby, here's this thing you could use if you don't like .NET anymore. Right, it's like a .NET developer's idea of what a conference would be that was all encompassing. It's like deep .NET and very uh, high level everything else. How much is Code Mash? How much does it cost? Somewhere, I don't know, somewhere like three, five hundred dollars. The harder part is just getting to Ohio and not billing for four days. Is the party worth the three hundred dollars? Well, you were saying that they have crazy parties, right? That conference is pretty much a nonstop party. It's in Sandusky, Ohio, at the Kalahari. Which oh, is... a wild, wild place. <laughs> well, so it's in an indoor water park, and it's in the oh, middle of January. That is cool. So you never leave the water park. It's just this big conference. And there's a swim up a swim up bar inside the water park, which is pretty great. I thought that that comp also did that, or was that? Yeah, I think they're at the other Kalahari. I'm not sure. They're they're, they're at, in Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's so they're both Kalahari. Yeah, that conference was at Kalahari. Yeah, but I'm not sure when I do the math of having to travel, having to pay for the hotel, having to pay for the conference, and not billing for four days. I get a little sad, but. I'm thinking about going because I haven't been in like three or four years. Do you think the same crowd that used to be there four years ago is still there? Mostly. I know it sells out really quickly now. It's okay. it's grown every year. And now they've reached the capacity of the Kalahari. So you have to get on top of buying tickets if you want to go. Nice. So what's the setup with the bar? Is it just because it seems weird? Like, is it on your break time you'll go in the water and swim up to the bar? Or is it you're in the water <laughs> and the conference is happening? There should be talks in the pool. That'd be great. Uh, no, it's just I don't know. The you get party. you get prony. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's a good idea. But if you had flotation devices, that's different. Oh yeah. If you were laying in a tube, <laughs> then maybe that's something I can get behind. So, what's your favorite conference pan? I. I mean, I go to a lot. I. I actually. I really did. Really enjoy Midwest JS. That was their first year, and I just think. They did such a good job. They really impressed me. And I guess I'm also, I mean, I I am taking my time off conferences after September for a reason. I'm just a little burnt out on it. But if you haven't been to one in a while, I do like actually going to one of the the massive ones because there's just so many people. So I kind of miss going to PyCon. Oh, really? I really really loved PyCon. And that's, I want to say that when I went, it was 7,000 people. It was it was just massive, oh, and I also I also like doing going to ones. I'm I'm actually really excited for Strange Loop because I like going to conferences that aren't necessarily my central purview. So I really liked Midwest JS because I actually hadn't been to a JavaScript conference this year. So I ended up going to a bunch of other conferences and talking about JavaScript, but going to a purely JavaScript conference is really nice because. I hadn't actually done that in a while. And I wonder if other people do the opposite where they, you know, if you're Ruby, you only go to Ruby stuff. I actually kind of do the opposite and I try and go to to things where I'm going to hear about things that I have no idea about. Yeah, so I think PyCon, I, think... I literally like hang out with rocket scientists and they're like, <laughs> no, the real rocket scientists won't call me rocket scientists. And I'm, I tell them, no, actually, you are in fact a rocket scientist to the rest do of the world. You, how do you, like, I feel at a small conference, I have, I kind of, meet a lot of people at a bigger conference it's just too many people and at the massive yeah Yeah. i mean i have a hard time at ete but steel city is awesome that's so ete you consider ete massive 
Well, so, ET is not 7,000 people, but it's like five tracks. And I feel like at a bigger conference, it's, it's multi-track. And I don't like I that. think it I, It probably does take a stronger social muscle. I just, I I don't have an issue with that. And also, I have the the benefit slash challenge of I really had a great time at PyCon finding the vegan crowd. So I, you know, th- there was something I had in common with some tens of people, actually probably more than tens because it was that big of a conference. There were probably more vegans than I found out about, but that we met up with each other to to go get food and, you know, it was a way, a, a random kind of commonality to find people on, on Twitter who are at PyCon to meet up so I definitely met people I wouldn't have otherwise. And also, you know, it's a, it's a, a blessing and a challenge is that you, I, I'll end up going and I see a few people I know. And so we have like kind of our local click. So like the Philly click. But then at the same time, we try and branch out and make sure we meet lots of other people. And so, and at PyCon is great because you have sprints. And so you meet people based on what projects they're involved in. So you talk to someone because you're going to help out with OAuth or you talk to someone because you think IPython is super cool. So it becomes a little bit project-centered just because there's so many people. So you actually have more than one person who's on a project versus if you go to a smaller conf, you'll see one, you know, one contributing member, maybe. So I think that's, those are some of my secrets to the bigger comps is pairing it down into the into the smaller group whatever your preference is if you're a vegetarian or vegan or if you're you know if you like to play board games because i know that that's a thing for some people who you know you were talking about the bar scene and a lot of people aren't really into that and so there's more conferences that are kind of offering alternatives they like board game nights for so that people have some excuse to socialize but don't have to see their boss get uncomfortably drunk <laughs> because it's uncomfortable so steel city had board games it was really good yeah i think that's cool they didn't officially have board games right it's just people was it so it was yeah i think they just gave us a space i was like yeah self-organized kind of deal yeah yeah i would say my favorite conference has been decamp i've only been once oh i never get an invite to decamp there might still be invites we could if you really want to happen what's that no, because I'm doing the the attempt to not do things. Yeah, decamp's different though. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a conference. I think it's three days. Um, it's in a park in Virginia. You sleep in a cabin, and then you have a meeting hall, and that's where everything happens. The first day is a code retreat, um, and the second two days are is an odd conference. So basically, in the morning, you pitch your talk, and it gets voted. There's a vote. And those the most popular talks get a spot. Yeah, I almost I almost put like I almost put unconferences in a separate category because they don't burn me out as much as talk conferences or multi day travel involved conferences. So Ruby D Camp does sound cool. Uh, there's a we'll have to talk about this more later, Javon, but Bar Camp Philly, which is on that list of things I think are super cool and I don't really count toward my my burnout quota that I'll I'll go as long as I feel like it day of but uh bar camp philly got rescheduled to be sadly on the same day as global code retreat so it's november 15th it's no good yeah right so we'll have to talk about that about organizing what we're going to do for philly code retreat if we want to be up against bar camp or what we want to do we could just punt and go to bar camp and have a code retreat session that sounds like the best of both worlds yeah that's not a bad idea actually 
free space. Yeah. A lot of people who probably would never consider going to just a code retreat day might actually come and do the the exercise. Yeah. We can talk more. Yeah. We should talk more about that later. That could be a good, you know, piggyback and mm-hmm. kind I of agree. deal. That way it doesn't have to be someone staying the entire day and they could pop out into a talk. Or... Yeah. So people can try it out. All right, we can probably do like two more popcorn topics. Well, I was going to say before we do that, um, my favorite conference hack is going to talks you don't think you like. Like I think generally when you go to a talk that you know you're going to be interested in, it's often not that enlightening because you basically know the basics. Like you kind of know what to expect, but I, you know the first fifteen minutes. Right. That's what happens is if you if it's something you're already pretty much interested in, you've done that backgrounding. Right. Which is an important part of the talk for the things that's completely new to people. Right. But I think I've had my my mind blown the most at talks that I did not expect to like. I I actually, I very much agree with that. I also sometimes go to talks that I think are going to make me mad. Where I'm <laughs> like, I, com- I completely disagree with this. And I'll go partially because, I, one, I don't know if that's true. And if it is true, then it's highly likely I have something to contribute to the discussion. So then it gives you... You know, especially with conferences, it's good to go to things that give you something to talk about with people afterward. So if you only go to things that you kind of already know about, you're completely doing only utilitarian and not, I, I, I would say that stretching your brain is utilitarian, but, you know, going to the things that stretch you a little bit or challenge you are the things that you're going to be able to have an enthusiastic discussion later. I think I agree. So that you with have that. an opinion about. So you don't go and you don't go and hang out with people afterward and say, "How about that talk that we all agree with?" Right. You know, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> we all agreed with that. It's cool. So you want to do another popcorn? I'll say technology that I'm interested in. All right. Well, I have been playing with closure. So you've been doing that for a while, though. Yeah. Have you have you but gotten closure down that you're gonna do closure script and then you're gonna do React and then you're gonna do Ohm and then you're gonna build functional reactive functional functions no i don't think i would ever do react (laughs) unless it's really for playing like making a play game or something but closure just seems to be releasing cool ideas or building stuff around cool ideas like they just released this thing called transducers or they wrote about it and it'll be in the next release of closure Oh yeah, I did read about it. that. Yeah, so well, in transducers, there's like another, there's another library that just came out that basically does the same thing. Nespa. I'm not sure. I, I didn't hear about it. I might be thinking but. of the wrong thing, but I remember David Nolan on his Twitter was talking about, oh look, Facebook just came out with this library, which is basically the same thing that they were working on. Mm, yeah. Oh, is it the? I think Facebook came out with immutable data structures for JavaScript. Oh, that's what I'm probably to, thinking of. I think Mori, which was ripped out yeah, of the script. You're right. That's what I was thinking of. But there's reducers and then there's transducers. I was trying to understand them over the weekend. And I don't think I'm ready to talk about them, but whoever's listening should check them check the ideas out and talk to me about it. So I don't think I'm really interested in anything besides Ruby Motion. I'm always very, very fickle. I'll have a a passion at the moment. Pam, what about you? What am I into lately? I, I actually, I've been thinking about what my next thing to learn is. And I was pondering closure and closure scripts, partially because it's a benefit that I can bother you, Jervon. So I know we someone else who's club. been, yeah. So it's like, I know someone else who's been looking into it, so I don't have to look at it in a vacuum. I've also had Scala on my list for a while, honestly. 
So there's a really fantastic Coursera Scala course, but the one but it's a good course. Taking. Yeah. Oh, that you tried. Exactly. That is actually, so it's so good that you actually have to work in order to do it. <laughs> so, so I, I pondered Scala for a while. I'm unlikely to do this bout of class, but it's Should, definitely, uh, it's been on the list. Last week I had the code, um, software as a craft. I paired with Roger who also works at your company doing Scala. Mm. Yeah, there, I I work with a good number of people who do Scala. So, or there's also a good number of people who know they should know Scala. So there's there's that because there are the Java people, and Java people should learn Scala. It was a fun time. So those are those are the things on my list. So do you guys want to do picks? Oh, we're already done with popcorn. We're already. Uh, we didn't already even done. we didn't even talk about snacks, Len. We can do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> use a, I'm gonna make one of my picks a snack. Okay. All right. So, first, huh? yeah, so I'm going to pick roasted seaweed snacks. Oh, those are good. Because they're, cause they're one really? of those weird random snacks that are really good. You get them Everyone and you them. get like a, a packet for, for like 99 cents at Trader Joe's. And, oh. you, and you tell yourself, you're like, no way am I going to finish an entire packet of seaweed snacks in one sitting. And then six minutes later, when you have no seaweed snacks, they're that good. <laughs> I like the wasabi ones. Uh, I I like them, but I I almost think they're too intense for me. And I I love spicy food, but wasabi is not usually my kind of spicy. It's that it's like in the front of your mouth, if that makes sense. Like wasabi is that kind of spicy, and I don't like that as much. And I also had a a more Turing incomplete pick that I saved. Uh, that so the Learn X in Y minutes website. So taking a whirlwind tour of programming languages. So that's what I'm gonna gonna drop because i saw it because of a a pure script link so learning x and y minutes pure script so my pick is this app uh habit rpg so i normally hate gamification but somehow this has actually kind of inspired me to keep on top of my to-do lists and part of what it does is kind of keeps track of of streaks so if you like learn something new every every day uh it'll keep points for your streak so it's kept me on on track so habitrpg.com Jermaine? All right. Uh, my music pick is uh, Wax Taylor's uh, Dusty Rainbow from the Dark. It's good stuff. Um, and programming pick, I read a couple chapters again from Eloquent Ruby. And Russ Olson's a really good writer. So he has two books, uh, Design Patterns of Ruby and Eloquent Ruby. So <clears throat> you should check them out. Uh, I think there are chapters in both books for both beginners and less beginners. So don't be afraid. Uh, and then snacks. I recently tried bananas and peanut butter. That's I really you were, good. I thought you would just stop with bananas. Oh, so randomness. I was at a bodega on Sunday, and they had chocolate-covered bananas in their ice cream thing. And literally, it was just a chocolate-covered banana on a stick, and it reminded me of Arrested Development. And it is also locally made in Philadelphia. That's awesome. The banana stand. And, right? Anyway, I just had to share that. Cool. Uh, so show notes are at turing.cool slash 18. Uh, follow us on Twitter at turingcool. And I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Yeah, and uh, write us a review on iTunes. See you guys. <laughs> All right, bye.